pre-2008, were you doing anything professionally in the athletic realm? Or no, no, nothing You're just an athletic dude who was ripping around on a bike and running and... Just a little bit of everything, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hate to admit publicly, but I was a pretty big triathlete for a while. <laughs> we can delete that part. <laughs> yeah, you might want to take that out and edit that out if you don't mind. Uh-huh. Hey there, everybody. Happy New Year. After a little bit of a reprieve from the podcasts, we took a few-week break late last year in 2019. We're back. Clearly, we are into a new year. Happy 2020, everybody. What is your resolution? What's going to make your 2020 the best year yet? Me? I'm I'm not so much a resolution kind of guy. I figure I know myself. I'm a pretty disciplined guy to begin with. I know what I'm capable of. I like to tackle a whole bunch of stuff, and that's why I live life fairly, eh, pretty much wide open. I miss stuff. I mess up plenty, but I keep my exploits coming full gas this way. That said, resolutions are excellent things. So if you have some, please let me know. I'm curious what you have in store, what you have resolved to do differently in 2020. Shoot me a message at all things I am Ted King. Or better yet, it's still fairly new. Head over to IamTedKing.com. The website has had a recent enormous facelift. So head over there and see all things podcast, all things King of the Ride videos. I am I'm getting much better at updating my blog. My schedule, schedules seem to be a hot topic for 2020 as the gravel world continues to boom. Perhaps that's a perfect segue for our guest on today's episode is Kimo Seymour. Super cool name, rather mellifluous, if I say so myself. We'll get into the origins of that name, but more to the point, Kimo is the president of events and media at Lifetime. Probably somewhere along the line, you've heard of Lifetime. Maybe you're a member of their gym. Maybe you've seen their logo at events. Maybe you've noticed the headline that Lifetime is making inroads in the world of cycling. I suppose you're just going to have to find this all out over the course of this conversation. So Kimo and I, we've been acquainted for a while. But we sat down for this King of the Ride podcast in Bentonville, Arkansas, back in October, where I'm headed today, in fact, uh, for another project entirely. Anyhow, Lifetime was announcing the launch of a brand new event, Big Sugar, in this new cycling mecca of Bentonville, believe it or not. I've seen it firsthand. They're doing some pretty darn cool things in Bentonville, and Big Sugar is definitely one of them. I don't want to let too much out of the bag because we have a lot to cover in this little sit-down, Kimo and I. My friends, I apologize for the minor static you're going to notice early in the show. I blame technology for sending a few too many mixed signals, and you're going to hear some minor buzzing. Don't adjust your sound system. That's apparently our doing. It's just the first few minutes. Please have some patience. And I will wrap it up with that. Kimo, thanks for the time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please enjoy the show. First things first, is your born legal name Kimo? Legal name is Kimo, believe it or not. Super cool. What is the... 
is the heritage of that? Chemo, so put put a Hawaiian a Hawaiian lady and an Englishman together, and you get Chemo and a Seymour. So, <laughs> how about the middle name? What's your middle name? James. There you go. That is which a Hawaiian is, and which, British which, name. Well, which is Chemo is James in Hawaiian. So, oh, no I guess you could call me James. James. James squared. I like yeah. it. Um, senior vice president of Lifetime Fitness, tackling the branch of events and media, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Very cool. Uh, so take me on a walk through your past, let's say the past 30 years or so. Uh, I think since college, your first venture was in real estate and then to managing a portfolio of private investments that included some triathlons. So how does that track lead you to where we are today? Give me, give me a, a summary of those past 30 years. Try to do the Cliff Notes <laughs> version for you. So it was, uh, yeah, out of college, got into uh, real estate development. Um, What'd you study? Uh, finance. Yeah. Finance at Arizona State and uh, had a good opportunity to get into real estate. Got out, struck out on my own pretty quickly. So I was kind of serial entrepreneur. Um, did that for 15 or 16 years, I think. And just had the dumb luck to kind of sell everything that I that I owned and had been developing around 2006, 2007. Um, and along comes 2008, and I was kind of twiddling my thumb. So um, worked out really good. You know, it was a fortuitous time to sell off a bunch of stuff. It, it just worked out. You know, I just I tell people that I just, I, I, I'm not smart enough to foresee a, a big correction like that. It just felt like the market was just too hot, you mm-hmm. know, and it just felt like it was a good time to sit on the sidelines for a while. So... I thought I'd always come back to real estate and I started dabbling in other things, you know, opened some running shoe stores, mm-hmm. uh, invested in a event business, invested in a few other kind of athletic, you know, fitness related companies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after buying this events business, uh, back in 2008, ended up running that for about three years and selling it to lifetime in 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, thought I would be at Lifetime for a couple of years, had an earnout, and uh, thought I'd be out of there the day the day after I, you know, yeah. finished my earnout. And here I am, eight years later. So I had the opportunity to step in and, and uh, lead the events business and uh, help us through the growth. A lot of acquisition. We bought a lot of events, bought some technology businesses, and uh, kind of you know melded it all together. And here we are now in 2019. Very cool. How about pre? Pre-2008, were you doing anything professionally in the athletic realm? Or no, no, nothing You're just an athletic dude who was ripping around on a bike and running? and Just a little bit of everything, yeah. yeah. I, I, I hate to admit publicly, but I was a pretty big triathlete for a while. <laughs> we can delete that part. <laughs> yeah, you might want to take that out, edit that out if you don't mind. Uh-huh. So, I mean, when I think of Lifetime, I think of nice gyms throughout the country, and I think it's only recently that... that events has popped my radar under the the umbrella of what Lifetime is doing. So I think describe what Lifetime is as a standalone company because there's Lifetime, there's Lifetime Foundation, Lifetime Academy, Lifetime Sport. So what is, give me Lifetime in 25 sentences or less yeah. or more, your choice. Yeah, I like to, you know, I think a Lifetime is, it, it, like you see on the on the name, right? Healthy Way of Life company, right? And, uh, you know, that, 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 Really, try, it really embodies what we're trying to do as a company. We're just trying to help people live a healthy way of life. It's beyond goes much beyond just building clubs all over the com- country and having people sign up and and you know either they do or they don't come into the club, right? But but you know the goal is and our our 
CEO, Brahm, you know, understands and has a vision that we really have to help people kind of change their lifestyle, you know, you know, diets don't work, you know, for life. Even a training plan doesn't work for life. Even training for an event doesn't necessarily set you up for a healthy way of life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the, you know, the vision is how do we do more than just build these beautiful, you know, facilities all over the country? How do we, how do we really help people kind of transform their lifestyle? And that's, because that's the only way you're ever really going to be healthy is if you, if you have a really healthy, you know, truly healthy lifestyle. How is that in practice? I mean, you know, our society is as unhealthy as ever. We're as uh, sedentary as ever. We're as wide as ever. The highest BMI as ever. So, I mean, talk to me about the success stories there. Like, where is Lifetime succeeding? Because it does cross this huge balance from events to to gyms themselves to the Lifetime Academy Foundation. Well, you know, I think we're succeeding. You know, in you know, some people's eyes in a big, big way, and some people's eyes, if you think about it, I mean, we have. 2 million members in our clubs across the country. That's not a big chunk of the population, right? Mm-hmm. We're one of the biggest, you know, uh, businesses, you know, health and fitness uh, businesses in the country, yet we can only touch about 2 million people that walk through the doors of our clubs. We're one of the biggest athletic event promoters in the in the country, yet we only will have 120, 130,000 participants a year in our events, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're doing what we can to touch it, you know, reach out and touch and help people in, through, through that journey. Um, but so, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of your perspective. Is that, is that a big impact or little impact? Um, you know, put it all together. I'd say, you know, it's tough. It's tough to measure how far beyond our audience it, it goes, right? Because hopefully those people are affecting other people and motivating and inspiring other people to grab, you know, that, that aren't a part of our ecosystem. But, you know, if if our audience, the members in our clubs and the, the participants at our events can inspire and motivate other people to take on a healthy way of life, we think we're having an impact and we're extending that reach. Nice. Makes sense. Um, I think, I think I saw Lifetime is from, uh, founded 1992-ish, call it mid-90s. What do you suppose the, the forecast was, um, for the company then? Was it initially just to create some gyms throughout the country or do you suppose Brom had these grand plans already stewing? You know, I think he's always had a really, really big vision for the company. I think his uh, he was pretty unique in his his vision of wanting to create a club. He worked for a a, a club business um, back, I think, through college actually, and then out of college, selling memberships. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think his his vision was he had a better idea for how to build almost like a country club type uh, type of a almost like the new modern day country club without yeah. golf, if you will, but <laughs> around healthy living, right? And, uh, and so he, golf. Ex- exactly. And so he, he managed to cobble together a few investors and, uh, and build his first club up in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the beginning of the, the beginning of the story. But I, I think he always had a, a really, really big, big grand vision for what he could do with the company, even from that first club. That's huge. Yeah. And how about your, so you are handling events and media. Um, talk to me what that means under the lifetime umbrella. 
You know, I, I, I tell people this a lot. I, I get to do all the things that happen outside the walls of our clubs, right? So, and, and now that's, that's changing because we're moving into, you know, we're moving into lifetime work, uh, doing uh, shared work facilities. Uh, we're doing, moving into lifetime living next year. We're opening our first two lifetime living. Uh, so apartment and condo wow. uh, projects attached to a club, also attached to a lifetime work facility. So live, work, and stay healthy all in, all, you know, all in one location. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it uh, but I, uh, historically I've kind of run everything that's been outside the walls of our club. So, you know, the events business, um, you're familiar with a handful of the events, but again, it's, uh, you know, a series of triathlons, running events, uh, cycling events around the country, 120 ish thousand participants a year. Uh, the media side of our business is really just, um, it, it's, uh, it's how we sell, uh, um, uh, brands on coming and connecting with our consumers, if you will. So traditionally thought of as sponsorship and events, um, those, those same sponsors often are interested in also reaching the audience inside the clubs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, all the partnerships that we sell um, you know, through, through our media division connects, connects brands with our consumers, both in club and at our events. So I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to get to, uh, to lead that group that, um, that is, it, you know, not only produce, promotes and produces the events, brings in the right partners to put the right brands and partners in front of our consumers. And then, you know, right now we're in a really dynamic time because we're, you know, we're, we're, we see an opportunity in, in, uh, in this, especially in the cycling space and we're seeing some growth and we're, we're fortunate enough to be kind of on the, we think on the front end of that mm-hmm. and, and trying to expand into that area. Um, that's where we see mass participation sports growing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of joke a lot that the only thing that, that that's really growing in, in mass participation sports is happening on dirt. Mm-hmm. And whether that's on a mountain bike, whether it's a gravel bike, whether it's running, Trying, yeah. you know, it, that's where all the growth is right now. And, and, and I don't know if it's, you know, for a variety of reasons, I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, w- you know, we believe that, you know, some of it is just, it's kind of better on the body, right? Especially on running, you know, it's just easier on the body. And I think people are starting to recognize and feel the impacts of what it does to run, you know, to your body to run on pavement. Um, So this movement to dirt, you know, on the running side is kind of interesting and um, that's really exploding. And then, you know, on the biking side, I think there's, there's a lot of, lot of elements of that, you know, there's, getting away from cars, people, people on their phones, texting, driving down the, you know, driving down the road. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you're, uh, you're taking a big risk every time you get out and ride your bike on pavement these days, you know? Truth. So to set the stage, I think a lot of cyclists especially will know that, that Dirty Kanza was purchased by Lifetime, uh, sometime within the past year or relatively recently. And we live, we live in a consolidating world. So Companies buy companies. Whether you're selling a VCR or a toaster or cereal or shoes, I mean, there's a reason that you can you can do all those things on Amazon. And this conversation is taking place in Bentonville, which you know is home of of Walmart, also a consolidating company of sorts. And I think Lifetime is interesting in this regard because they, you, generally I believe don't create events. Um, sort of come in, adopt them, streamline them, run them. Um, I guess the question is, what are what was the motivation of purchasing DK? Um, financial, scalable, marketing of the brand, all of the above. You know, the uh, purchasing DK. Um, I think 
similar to you know the strategy around purchasing a lot of the events that we've acquired over the years. You know, our, our goal with the events business, um, our, our, our CEO loves to say our events business is a rounding error to lifetime. Uh, and, and it really is financially. Um, it'll never be a, you know, have a meaningful financial impact for the business. And so, you know, at a, at a really high level, um, you know, what I like to tell people, our goal with events um, is to just create really, really phenomenal experiences for people. Uh, I want us to focus on, 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 on uh, you know, wherever we can help improve the, those experiences because I think that's what, that's what attracts people. And when we see an opportunity with, a, with an event like a, like a Dirty Kanza or like Leadville that we acquired a few years ago, um, you know, the opportunity is really around, you know, ultimately someday our hope is that someone crosses the finish line at one of those events and thinks, wow, Lifetime really does a pretty cool job with these things. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have to make a lot of money on the events, right? We, 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 matter of fact, we turn around and invest most of it back into the events. And you've probably seen even in your years at Dirty Kanza and, now, you know, now some of the things you're seeing us do there, it's, uh, our goal is just to, to, to step in and help, help the founders, help the, uh, the promoters that, that own the events, you know, just make them a little bit better. And, and I like to, you know, I tell my team, if someday you can get somebody to, to, to associate that great experience with the lifetime brand, then we've done a really good job. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, with Dirty Kansas specifically, you know, I, I, some of it is maybe me personally, um, a you know, passionate cyclist and see what's been happening with, uh, with, with cycling the last few years. And I'm like you, you know, probably don't ride on the road that much anymore. <laughs> and, and it seems like everybody, all my buddies in Boulder are riding on gravel and you rarely go out without doing a, you know, hitting some dirt somewhere. And you just, I just kind of see and sense that trend in the, in the industry right now. And, and maybe if anything, the opportunity, um, that I saw or we saw was, um, to get on the kind of leading edge of this kind of transformation of cycling in at least in the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I do think it's happening around the world. We're, we're obviously focused here in the, we're a U.S. based company. And so our interest is to, is to be involved in whatever way we can and, and, and play a little part or a little role in, in kind of the transition of cycling that we're, that, that's happening right now. I mean, it's interesting because there isn't a lot of branding. There isn't, I think, especially if you're new to a gravel event, you could, you could perfectly easily go do Dirty Kansas or go do Leadville. I mean, those are the two big ones that I think we think of and not be aware that Lifetime's there. It's not implanted and branded all over the place. So so it's almost, I mean, it's interesting that it ends up being sort of a subtle uh, connotation that you're going to make with, okay, I had a great time at that event, and oh, by the way, it's a Lifetime event. Um, so well done, not blasting it too far in our face. We were a bunch of athletes, some Lifetime folks and industry folks were, were talking last night about funny buzzwords in the, in the marketing world and, and the term authenticity came up and how it's you know vastly overused. And of course you want an event to be authentic. Dirty Kanza and I think gravel events in general are truly about that soul. It's about the community. It's about um, a balance of fun and performance, but I think especially gravel events are fun over performance, which might be different than, than sort of the traditional events that might be in Lifetime's wheelhouse. Like if you go to a triathlon, yeah, that's a performance-driven activity. Gravel is much more, in my mind, about fun. The question is, how do you maintain that authenticity and that fun 
amid the growth, amid this, the, the changes that are going to inevitably take place with a endorsement of lifetime? You know, I think uh, authenticity is a word that, um, it's a word that describes something. It's almost like it's a word you should never use, right? <laughs> if it's authentic, you shouldn't be having to call it authentic. Okay. It should just, it, it should be natural, right? Um, and so for, you, you'll never see us, you know, sit down and, and you know, game plan around authenticity. That just kind of happens. And, you know, I, you know, for us, I guess, um, you know, first and foremost, I'll use Dirty Cans as an example. It's still Jim, Christy, Leland, Treva. They're running the show, sure. you know. They're there. We were, we, you know, we we send a team out there last year to help them out, so they had more sets of hands than they probably ever had. And you probably saw some of the, you know, some of the capital investment that we made to kind of spice things up a little bit. And um, but we rolled gosh, into the they, show. Let me interrupt real quick. We rolled in. We're setting up untapped. We have a timber frame, like a proper super heavy piece of lumber into timber frame, and that's our mm -hmm. expo space. <laughs> Leland was so relaxed, given the extra set of hands, that he was helping us put the whole thing up. I'm like, yeah. Leland, you're the man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, complete. I think you maintain that authenticity by letting, you know, we, we, where we've found, and I'll tell you, we've, we've screwed it up a few times too. You know, we've, we've done some acquisitions where, you know, the, the, I, I like to say, and I told Jim and Christy and Leland and Treva back when we were talking about the acquisition, there's no way we would do it without them. And, uh, and that was, you know, it was months and months of, I, I don't call it months and months of negotiating. I call it months and months of relationship building. And we had to get them as comfortable, you know, with working with us as we had to get comfortable with working with them and knowing that they wanted to stay on and they wanted to do, you know, we wanted to hear about their vision. We wanted to hear how we could help them with their vision. But everything you saw out there last year, that that was their vision. These are all things that they wanted to do. And, and, and I think that's the, you know, for, for us, that's, you know, our strategy is to, you know, we've still got Frankie Ruiz, right. You know, down at the Miami marathon, the founder, he's still with us, you know, <laughs> Gary, Gary Crandall at Schwamigan, you know, with 36 years, he, we bought that event 10 or 12 years ago. He finally just retired after 36 years okay. and he's still out there helping out. I think he was parking cars this year. I heard, <laughs> you know, so he's, so, you know, that's just our, you know, that's Ken and Mary Lee up in Leadville, you know, they're yeah. still shooting the shotgun off and Mary Lee still hugs everybody that comes across the finish line, you know, and I think that's what, that's what truly help, you know, helps keep things. If you have to try and keep things authentic, it, that's what's happened just kind of naturally. I believe it. Um, had you, you, where's home? Boulder is home for me. Had you been to Kansas before the negotiations to, to, purchase the event? So I had been to Kansas. I'd never been to the event before I started talking with them. Uh, it was, I think, February last year. And yeah. uh, so I was out, went out there. And I'll tell you, one of the one of the things that just blew me away was that I think it was 18 degrees or something in Emporia. And we pulled up at their offices and I went into a coffee shop and I looked out and I must have seen 20 different people going out on gravel bikes, middle of February, yeah. heading out. You're in the middle of cattle country, Right. right. I, I mean, who who's out riding their bike? Every one of them was heading out to ride the Flint Hills. I said, you know what? These guys are these guys have created something here. They're they've created something that they've they've created a destination for cycling. People are coming there in the middle of February. It's 18 degrees, and they're going out to ride the Flint Hills. Mm -hmm. I guarantee no one was riding out there 15 years ago before Dirty Kansas came along. You know, and so I, that was that was my first experience there. And then I came back and 
tried to do the race last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then we ended up, uh, as you said, I think it was about a year ago, maybe uh, 14 months ago, finally got done with the acquisition. Mm -hmm. Let's, uh, let's delve into your, your personal beliefs on some of the nitty gritty on gravel. I'm curious your thoughts on e-bikes, teams, and aero bars in gravel. Yes. Yes to all of the above? <laughs> all of the above. Do you think... Uh, let, me, let, me, let me... Go, go yeah, ahead. Unpack that, as a, <laughs> to use a buzzword. Unpack that. You know, um, the, in anything, there's going to be change. Um, you know, for us, I think it, those things are happening naturally. Um, the one that I think would take some support from us is, is e-bikes. And we're already having conversations now with a couple of potential sponsors about adding an e-bike race. Mm -hmm. um, you know, philosophically, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the idea of putting e-bikes next to regular bikes on the same course or you know, whatnot. I just, I think there's some inherent safety concerns there, but I think the opportunity to create something, why not? I mean, it's a, as much as gravel has been a new trend in the industry, look what e-bikes have done in the last few years. It seems like if you look at brain, it seems like it's a toss up that the growth in, in, in cycle sales, bike sales is, it seems to be a toss up between gravel bikes and e-bikes and, and both of them. So, Hey, if that's where the market's going and that's what consumers want and that, you know, if an e-bike gets someone out there riding and, and they, and they're willing to go and take on a, you know, a, a challenge like a dirty Kansa or, or something like that, mm -hmm. any event, you know, more power to them, you know, it's getting more people on bikes. And, and so that's why I'm supportive. Um, again, putting them together, I, I think could be, uh, you know, there's some challenges there, but you know, we're, we're looking at potentially adding another day of, you know, a Wednesday or a Thursday e-bike race, mm -hmm. um, at dirty Kansas next year, this event we're going to talk about here in Bentonville. Um, a course like Leadville would be, a, you know, that would be a little challenging because there's, it, it would definitely have to be another day. You know how that yeah. course goes. You couldn't put e-bikes with that Somebody's crew. Ripping up Columbine. Yeah, exactly. Come, <laughs> yeah, ripping up or ripping down. down. Yeah, on a 50-pound bike. <laughs> exactly. That's what's crazy is the, so. these days the batteries are so streamlined. I mean, I think we have the, the idea in our mind because we've seen so many e-bikes where, yeah, there's a big down tube and a big old battery. Fast forward, I mean, the technology is that you do not see it. And so the, the scans that the UCI is instituting for motors and bikes, like, it, it'll be interesting to see what's happening when the bikes look identical to what we're currently riding. I mean, and I, I say that my own curiosity. I'm totally with you. I think e-bikes are awesome. I think more people riding bikes is love it. Yeah, it's good um, for the industry. Uh, yeah. Regarding the you know the teams, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about professional teams. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of amateur teams out there that show up at events and guys working together and mm -hmm. you know trying to stay near the front or whatever. And and you know I'm I. I I did the deal with, with JV to get the EF guys out there this last year. And, and, uh, you know, Trek Segafredo sent a couple guys out and, you know, I mean, that, that's our, our focus. Um, our focus isn't necessarily the front of the race, right? right? Um, it's interesting. It's fun. It's exciting. And I, I'm a, you know, professional cycling fan. And, and, and so I, I'm, you know, excited about it. Mm -hmm. I'd say about 98% of that, that audience that's out there, whether they're riding or they're spectators, they're not too concerned about the front of the race. And, and our, you know, our focus is, you know, 
I don't put on professional road races or professional events. I put on, you know, mass participation events and, and that's our audience, right? It's the, you know, the best story I heard out of Dirty Kansas last year, uh, all the, you know, you got all this great media and about, you know, the, the pros and, and what went on at the front of the race. And by the way, pretty phenomenal, a guy like Colin Strickland, you know, comes and goes off the front. And I mean, what a, what a story that created. That was right? incredible. But I think the best story I heard all the whole race was a, a lady that, uh, that came out there, got her first bike last year, um, had reached out to Jim about getting in the race. She did the 25 mile event. Um, I think she was, I think Jim said she was, I don't know, 30 or 40 pounds overweight and she lost a bunch of weight and she came out there and she did the, the, I think it was the 50 mile event. I think it took her four hours, Mm -hmm. over four hours. And she crossed the finish line and broke down in tears and went over and gave Jim a hug. And, (laughs) and I mean, I saw the video and the pictures of this and she sent in her story with a bunch of her kind of before and after. And I mean, that to me, that story, like that's the people that we're impacting. Right. And if they're a little bit excited, if it motivates them to see some pro riders out there too, that's great too. But I I bet you most of those people aren't even impacted by it, you know? So I'm, you know, we're, I'm as interested on the as a person, the last person that finishes, as I am about the person that finishes for, first. You know, so the pro, you know, the teams are going to change the dynamic at the front of the race. I think um, certainly, mm-hmm. but uh, but you know, I think it makes it makes it exciting, and and you know, we're really focused on the other ninety nine point nine percent of the race that's out there. Totally, I like it. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a different story if and when. Full teams are rolling up. I think it's cool as a world tour team guy, as these guys come in in ones and twos and, and as long as they're appreciating it and part of the community um, and interacting and not just coming in and racing and piecing out for the next one because it's, it is about that community and it's about having fun and, and prioritizing that. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I'm hyper competitive. I want to do well, but you know, if I have five flat tires, it's still the chief priority to finish and, and you know, be downtown commercial street come the end of race yeah i think it was you know, it, what a great story to have taylor finney come out right and <laughs> and that. i don't know how many between he and tj eisenhart they ended up riding together they ended up getting i don't know i think i heard nine flats yeah. between the two of them yeah. they weren't going to quit man 14 hours or something they came and they sure. they just kept on you know i'm sure they were miserable but they, they weren't going to quit halfway through the race he was what? I heard he went swimming. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. Company well, towards the end, I mean, I was thinking about that. I was dying of heat exhaustion. We went by some river or big body of water. I'm like, yeah. God, <laughs> I weren't still duking it out. I didn't want to go swimming. I mean, so, how, how great a story is that? That's you know? great. Absolutely. And it, it, it's just so interesting that the, the success of gravel is coinciding with the, call it nadir of domestic road racing so yeah i mean guys are looking to, to fill their schedule and i think it is cool to come in for ones and twos but yeah it's going to totally change the dynamic admittedly in that one percent but when full teams are showing up and not only do they have the horsepower but they have the numbers and it's like all right what are we doing here let's just go create a new event and chill out how about you know, do you see any sort of consolidation uh on a national scale do you see a national race calendar on gravel coming up where people are going to be linking events together because currently you know it's each one has a little bit of uh its own character its own feel its own vibe but it does operate independently do you see that uh, a formal linking together of events you know i think that's probably years off um you know these events they don't 
they, they don't happen overnight normally, you know, that, now an exception to that might be the SBT mm-hmm. gravel race this year. I mean, they did a phenomenal job year one, right? They launched it last year, sold it out in a week. From, from everything I heard, the event was great. But but most of these things, you know, they've started as grassroots event. I mean, Dirty Kansas is going into, what, 15th year, I think, yeah, 14th, yeah. 15th year. And so, you know, it, I, you know I, I think it's going to take, it'll take some time. Um, I, I do think there, there, you know, there could be an opportunity to, to consolidate into some sort of national, you know, kind of calendar. Um, you know, some of that depends on what, you know, what exactly you want to try and create with that. Is it purely professional related that you got to create a calendar and create a point system. Then you start getting into, you know, now you start getting into money and are, you know, what events have prize purses, what events don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, and at, so it gets, it gets complicated. Um, I'm not, not saying it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could be fun. You know, I don't, but I, I don't know that we'll, you know, I don't know that we'll see a, a true, um, you know, point series across on, you know, and, you know, a national series that leads up to some sort of championship event or something. I'm not sure that you'll see that anytime in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sort of flies in the face of that prioritization of fun, you know, like go have a good time. Can you make it to this race and that race? Great. Can you make it to just your local ones? Fantastic. And it's a goal to make it to, to you know, one big national one that lives on the national calendar. I don't know. TBD. Speaking of first-year events that yes, went off well, I hear your event went just amazing. Boom. Um, yeah, we were psyched. We had uh, we plans to cap it at 500 and still inevitably end up 10% over that, so we had about 550. Um, yeah, sold-out event, beautiful weather, magnificent scenery. We, we, we institute mullet protocol, so, you know, it's business up front and let people rip, but it's party at the back and then huge party at the finish, which was awesome. And yeah, it's just a really, really cool way to, as I say, bring the gravel community to our local community. Um, it's, it's been nothing but fun and welcoming where we are in Vermont and, and we want to show it off to, to the country and to the world. Um, I was talking to another friend recently that we, we do this thing called tour X new England, where we ride basically a hundred miles a day for five days. And it's fairly rudimentary. I mean, you get, you know, pretty basic hotel or Airbnb, but we're going massive distances with a group of a half dozen or so. And initially it was hard to, to lure people in and be like, Hey, you want to come do this? And we're talking to friends all over the country. And they're like, yeah, I don't really have the interest to come to new England. This was even, you know, half dozen years ago, they weren't interested. Whereas now gravel and, and, you know, Vermont, I think especially, but new England, it's like, because there is so much gravel, it's become this, this, easy lure this easy carrot to dangle in front of people and be like sweet i want to in so yeah come to vermont august 2nd this year i'm hoping i get in november 1st you want to sell it 10 (laughs) a.m that's one way to get in by the event reg opens i bet we could find you a spot okay gravel was considered a fad a handful of years ago i think in the same way that perhaps fat biking was considered a fad um it is hot it is cruising through the industry it is on every piece of equipment there's there is gravel something gravel tires gravel bikes gravel clothing gravel helmets gravel gloves how do we keep that momentum for the sake of the sport as fans of the sport i think it happens naturally i think uh 
authentically. <laughs> I selected that word carefully. No, I do. I think it happens. Uh, I think it just happens naturally. And I, I believe a hundred percent. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of fads and a lot of different types of events and a lot of different, you know, formats of, of, of outdoor fitness, if you will. And, and this one just does not feel like a fad to me. This feels like a lifestyle. Um, it, it feels like, like something that can stick. You know, someone told me one time that I, I'm going to butcher the number, but 90% of the roads or something in the U S are not paved. I mean, it's some, it's some unbelievable amount, but if you drive, you know, five miles outside of any major city, there's dirt roads everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and so I, I think it's, it's just, I think it's naturally sustainable. I think it happens. It's, you know, by itself, um, uh, you know, it's talking to someone here recently. They asked me, do you know, do they think, uh, do you think this, that, that the industry has driven, you know, by through innovation in gravel bikes has driven the interest in gravel riding, or do you think gravel riding drove what the industry is now doing with the bikes? And I think, I think it's the latter. I mm-hmm. think it's, as I said earlier, I think it's people, you know, avid cyclists, you know, people seeking a healthy way of life, you know, getting off the road, saying, realizing that the dangers of riding on the road have just gotten, it's gotten out of control. And, and I don't know anybody that doesn't know somebody that's either, you know, either been hit and injured or killed. Um, Mm -hmm. and you hear the stories all the time. And, and, and so I, I think it's just a natural progression for the sport. Um, and I think it's, I think it's just, it's going to broaden the funnel, if you will. I mean, I think it's going to create a really, really big funnel to get people into cycling. Sure. I dig it. I'm a fan of that. What are your pie-in-the-sky goals for DK Gravel Lifetime? Do you want want camps? Do you want a DK? Do you want a gravel event in every state? What is your 35,000-foot view? You know, it's a great question. So, um, when, when I came to lifetime with, uh, you know, eight years ago, the first thing I was asked to do was to kind of grow the develop and grow the, uh, the qualifying series for, uh, for Leadville. And, you know, I'm not, I won't preach to be a very creative guy. And I looked and I saw what, what Ironman had done with Kona basically. And, you know, they take that one kind of centerpiece uh, marquee event and leverage it and leverage the demand for that scarce amount of supply, right? You can only get a couple thousand people in that race, mm-hmm. but you've got hundreds of thousands of people around the world trying to get into that race every year. And it was, you know, they had a lottery and a few other events around the world and look what they've done with Ironman over the last 25 years. Crazy. Pretty amazing. And, you know, similar idea with Leadville, you know, instead of just letting people in through a lottery, we thought, well, let's let them get in through a series of qualifying events. And, and that, that's worked okay. Um, I don't think the demand, you know, has been, you know, the demand for Leadville certainly isn't what it, what it was once was for Ironman. I don't know how, how much the demand is, has ebbed or flowed for that, but, um, that was the idea with Leadville. Um, you know, when I started talking with the, the Dirty Kansas team, um, they had the vision to start adding events and, you know, I think the approach is a little bit different and we're going to talk, you know, we're in town here to talk about a new one tonight. Um, and you know, the approach is going to be a little bit different. I think we want to, we want to create some other events as a, as a means or an opportunity for people to get in, uh, to let to, uh, sorry, into dirty Kansas. But, 
you know, the Dirty Kansas team, this was part of their vision and strategy uh, before Lifetime. And I think we're just lending some resources to help them do that. But the long-term vision there, um, they feel pretty strongly. They don't want it to be about a, a qualification by performance type of thing. Mm-hmm. They want it to be more about um, if you can show up and, and get through a, an event like the one we're going to announce here and, and hopefully some, some more in the future, if you can show up and get through it, you should have an opportunity to to have your name drawn in a lottery, just just like if you put into the lottery for the race, you know, when it opens up here in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, by creating more opportunities for people to experience gravel, creating some new, some unique events uh, around the country that are um, authentic, <laughs> <laughs> but just some cool, you know, go, let's go out and let's go create, they, you know, their vision was let's go create some really cool events and create some great experiences around the country. And maybe we'll let, you know, those will be an opportunity for people to also be able to ultimately get their name drawn to get into, into Dirty Kanza. As you know, Dirty Kansas, you know, we have to, we're, I think we're up to 3,000 riders, 3,100 riders, probably never get much bigger than that. You know, we're really, really focused on the on the experience and don't want to create a poor experience for anybody, you know, and the terrain is, and the conditions are rough enough, you know, that, but that's, that's part of the, you know, what makes the experience, but cram too many people on the course and, and it'll get, you know, it's, it's like getting, you know, you know, out in Leadville, getting too many people going into the bottom of St. Kevin's at the start is Mm -hmm. just a bad idea. And so, um, you know, we, we want to be able to create some really cool experiences like Dirty Cans and other places around the country. So that was, I would say that was more the, the, the Dirty Cans team's ambition than it was mine or Lifetime's. And here we are about to kind of, you know, head down that road with them. So we're pretty excited about it. We want to just, just like you, create, create some experiences, some opportunities for people to have a great experience on a gravel bike. Sweet. Wood. With the announcement that's going to take place tonight, which of course will be announced before this pod goes live because we're not going to launch this pod in the next two hours, would that have taken place without the DK crew? Was was it something that Lifetime was was looking to do, create an event, or it's it's as a result of working with those guys that that this is happening? Hundred percent a result of working with the DK team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, they you know we didn't have any experience putting on gravel events. You know, we, we didn't, we didn't have a right to go in somewhere and think we were going to create something great. I mean, would we have, if we hadn't been working with them, maybe, uh, you know, someday, I I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, they, when I, first time I sat down with them, they were, you know, they wanted to, they wanted the opportunity to do more of what they were doing in Emporia and, and kind of spread that love elsewhere. So yeah, I wouldn't be doing it without them. And dig it. All right, we wrap up with three very hard-hitting questions. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, what is the number one place you'd like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? And three, living or otherwise, with whom would you like to go out out on a bike ride? Uh, favorite favorite place to ride now? You know, I, I, I mean, I live in a in dreamland, right? I live in Boulder, and there's not much better than riding like any way you can get up to gold hill yeah if you've been up to gold hill there's four different ways to get there any way you can get there it's on gravel whether you get switzerland trail you know up sunshine canyon that turns to gravel above there up to peak to peak is gravel you know coming four mile 
climbing Lick Skillet. If you've been up Lick Skillet, so and you're freaking earning it. It's oh, a you're hard ride. Yeah, yeah. So any anywhere around Gold Head, if I, every day I can get up there, I do. I mean, it's fantastic. And you get on dirt, you'll see a car every ten minutes, and you can get they got great pie and coffee in that little shop up there. So okay. you probably know it. Yeah, no, well. <laughs> Um, I think uh, dream place to ride, man, all my buddies, and this is road, and I think there is some gravel, but man, I, I want to climb the Stelvio. Nice. I got to get over and see some of that stuff in, in northern Italy. I've mm-hmm. never ridden any of that, so I've ridden around Lake Como, but haven't really seen the good stuff in the Dolomites. That's probably, uh, um, that's probably uh, tops on the list. People to ride with? People, cartoon characters. <laughs> Favorite, favorite TV star. You know, it, uh, gosh, I got to think on that one. Um, this is, this one's meant to be, I realize it's a hard question because the answers don't come out rapid fire, but you could have a different answer in 10 minutes. You could have a different answer tomorrow. So what do you got? <laughs> Tip your tongue. Well, I don't know ex- expose a political bias, but I did always think it would be kind of cool to go be able to say you went and rode mountain bikes with with uh, George Bush. Yeah, I hear that guy rides bikes, and Ken Clover's been down there and ridden on his ranch. And That's I don't know that I necessarily agree with his politics, but but I'm not aligning myself there. But uh, that would be pretty cool. Um, be able to say you rode with the next president. That would be. A, I, I dig <laughs> that one. Um, that guy rides bikes. I mean. I just watched the documentary 41 about his father, GW senior. And again, political affiliations aside, I don't care if you love him or hate him or love his politics, hate his politics. Like he is a very, very good human. Yeah. And I highly recommend that movie to anybody. The number 41, 41 wicked. Well, may you get that bike ride with GW on the ranch or in the Stelvio. Um, I'm looking forward to, heading out with bike ride with you tomorrow. And thank you very much for making the time. Thanks for having me, Ted. It's good. It's going to be a fun ride tomorrow. It's going to be a little wet, but it's all right. Exactly. Good raincoats make for good bike rides. Yep. Right on. Thank you very much. 51 episodes are now a wrap. Man, that's a refreshing way to start the new year. 51, a new milestone. Of course, if you have some time, please scroll back through the archives of King of the Ride. You're going to find dozens. Well, you're going to find 50 episodes up to this point, 51 with this one with Chemo. Thanks, Chemo, for your time. Thank you all for listening. Your continued support of this podcast through your reviews, hitting that subscribe button, suggesting it to friends and fam to try out the pod. Those reviews are super powerful. They are very, very helpful. They are enormously appreciated. Please keep them coming on iTunes, whatever other podcast app you might be listening to today. While you're at it, like I said before, head over to imtedking.com for a brand new website. We hit the relaunch button just a few weeks back and it's got a whole new look, imtedking.com. Thanks y'all. And until next time, please enjoy the ride.